Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And uh, we are, um, you know, full disclosure, dear listener, uh, due to scheduling, we had to change things up. This is the AM edition. We could either be super tired or we could be extra perky, like the morning show hosts on TV. I'm going with super tired. Yeah, I was going to say, we might go with super tired, though. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit more likely. But, you know, we're going to see how the show goes. You never know. Um, yeah, yeah, this week. This week is uh, the first week of our uh, of our review of all of the amazing wonderfulness we got to view in 2021. Every single one of these films is an absolute A+. Plus. Don't you think, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Or, or we wouldn't <laughs> be talking to, about them. Right, yeah, because, you know, we're, we would never want to bore you dear listener with uh, a movie that frankly you shouldn't see but boy these movies every single one of these movies chef's kiss Mwah! that's they're gonna they're uh no that's not really we wouldn't want to sully our lips with the names <laughs> of movies that did not at least approach perfection that's true and uh and i think we can all agree that when we all think back on 2021 we will always think perfection <laughs> exactly uh yeah art reflects uh, life my friends it's always been yes, us. Indeed, it, <laughs> indeed it does uh so we are going to uh we're gonna hop right in uh to that list here in a moment um but real quick i wanted to make sure if there was anything uh else little on-air production meeting because i realized i forgot to ask ryan about this before we hit hit play on all of the sounders uh is there anything we needed to discuss at the top of the list here no uh the no i think the there list are no will, reminders will be, of what was sorry that? siri decided siri decided to hop on in and uh and and chime in siri is not an equal something. partner in this podcast i want everybody to no know. no um i did watch uh although i'd seen this before i i didn't remember anything about it that's not usually a good sign of a of a that's not usually a sign of a of a good, you know, event movie that you you had some images and some things that you were like, "Oh, I I remember that, but I don't what was that even about?" and and it was and it's a kind of weird time to talk about this, but I just want to roll this by you since you asked. This was not my plan to talk mm. about this. Yeah, sure. Um I watched the uh, Fantastic beast the crimes of grindelwald last night oh sure and that that movie did fairly 
I mean, relatively. It actually did pretty big blockbuster business, particularly internationally, but it did fairly poorly for a Wizarding World movie. I believe it's the least yeah. highest grossing one. And more than that, although it was relatively well critically reviewed, it, 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 people really hated it. And I don't remember why. Was there one specific reason? Do you remember? What was the... Because I, I watched uh, it and it whatever it was didn't jump out at me. You know what I mean? I mean, it it had a little bit of Spider-Man 3 going on in it where it was mm-hmm. very, very busy plot-wise. and But I, I sort of liked that because I watch a lot of these and they're like, something bad shows up and everyone points at it and then... No, uh, like no. I, I mean, I, I I thought the complex nature of the plot was actually one of the joys of it, but I don't I don't really know what people hated. Yeah, I uh, that I obviously divorced from any real world concerns that I don't really want to talk about. I feel like right. that I feel like that wasn't part of the narrative when this film came out. Maybe it was. Um, I'm not sure if it was or not. I sort of feel like though. Um, I mean, are you talking about the Johnny Depp issues? No, I mean, uh, not really, no. Yeah, or are you talking about more of the J.K. Rowling issues? Either. Uh, I Neither yeah. seemed to affect this movie very much. Maybe I'm, yeah. you know, I'm just talking about the movie. Yeah, I um, I don't remember um, why, you know, it is, you know, it does have mixed to average reviews. It did. Um, um, I can understand you know, the mixed to average reviews. It's just a middle ch- a middle chapter of a thing that doesn't mm-hmm. feel super satisfying in itself, but it's very artfully done and very beautiful. Yeah, it didn't it didn't even really do all that well internationally. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm not yeah, entirely. It, it uh, did much bigger numbers internationally, but it it wasn't like sure. normal there and really poor here. Like something like Golden Compass was. It was. Mm-hmm. It was down everywhere. You're right about that. So I, I yeah, maybe yeah. just not not enough, not enough happening or something. I just feel like there was something that stuck in people's that stuck in people's craws that I couldn't get out, that I couldn't find mm-hmm. in it. Someday we'll dive off and talk a little bit about J.K. Rowling and what's going on with that. I don't think we're ever going to talk about. Johnny Depp's divorce. <laughs> I don't, no, I really don't I, see I, any artistic purpose in exploring that stuff. But uh, but I think I feel like some point, sometime we have to chime in on that. But that is not this show. I was just curious about that movie in particular. Yeah, I um, I don't, you know. Did you see it? Did you think at, it was trash uh, or anything? It was pretty good. It was a, at least as good yeah, as I the one it. that came before. You know. I saw it, but in it's uh uh yeah the um there literally is no consensus or there's really nothing going on here with uh with the as I'm kind of quickly scrolling around yeah there's um, no this is that no I mean it, when you ask you know when you when you you look it up everyone just you know talks about Johnny Depp or you know Dumbledore's sexuality or Nagini's race um. So, yeah, she's me. Nagini's Indonesian. She's played by a South Korean in the movie, but surely that's not something we're too concerned about. No, I mean, I, I they tried I, to get this Indonesian superstar to play that part, but she she couldn't do it. She got pregnant. 
<laughs> she was gonna. And then they just glommed yeah. on to the the best actor they could find with the Eastern nationality, basically. Claudia Kim's really right. good in it. Yeah. And what a weird take on that. <clears throat> You'd think she'd be some reptilian-like character, and she just isn't at all. And it's interesting. I don't know where any yeah. of that's going, but... I. I was yeah, intrigued and fairly diverted by it all. So I was wondering if there was some big deal. Yeah. yeah this, this sort of sympathetic character. I mean, it sort of creates very a much sympathetic so, character right? in Nagini. And we're like, dude, Nagini, like, yeah. And that, you know, if you look at the Harry Potter movies. And, uh, it's neat. Is, I like little touches yeah. like that. You know, I like having my expectations subverted a little bit. Like I said, I didn't love it. Oh. I just thought oh, it was pretty good. <clears throat> yeah. It's pretty good. A lot of the big movies that we, it, it wasn't like those. I guess that's what I like most about it. Of course, it was something slightly different. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's something, even though it's <laughs> movie 10 or whatever <laughs> in the big right. long series that we've all been living with for decades, it still felt different than what they're putting out there to some degree, which I thought was nice. Yeah. Uh, even like even the too many Star Wars movies, like at least when one of those came around, I was like, oh, well, this is a little different. Even mm -hmm. though we've had one a year, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it sounds silly, but it it's true. It's like and w this list will sort of demonstrate that. But before we uh, and it's not before it's just part of it. But before we start climbing the mountain of what was the very late 2020 and 2021. I had this little group of movies that I got caught up on that I stuck here at the beginning that don't really have any rhyme or reason. Right. Cause a yeah, couple of them were quite a... good and a couple of them were just sort of relatively high profile, but weren't exciting to me. So I didn't get to them. I just kept putting them off. So. Right. Uh, yeah. We have a little hodgepodge uh, of, of movies that are, little bit of prior to, to 2021. Um, but I don't think there's anything well, older than 2019. So it's all. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I I, semi recently, but it's just that it's, we called the category we call playing catch up. So. Yeah. Let's quickly jump into it. Um, Olympic dreams, Nick well, Kroll and um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Alexi Pappas. Yeah. Yep. Of course, that's topical because there's another Olympics coming up mm -hmm. probably in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> we think <laughs> it's going to happen in some form. Yeah, it, um, it's going to happen. It's, it's, yeah, what, what, you know, how is it going to uh, occur? And, but the cool thing yeah. about Olympic Dreams, of course, came out in 2019. It was shot in and amongst the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. So, it really, it's a really tiny little two person sort of intimate story that takes place with this big, massive backdrop that where the Olympic committee just completely cooperated with this tiny little independent film. And yeah. if you know, Nick Kroll, it's, it's, you know, it's him, it's Pappas and her husband sort of wrote and directed it. Yeah. And they had done a movie together too. And she's a, she's not a, she plays a cross country skier in the film, but she's, she's an athlete in real life. I can't remember what her actual sport is. Let me see if I can find it here. If you click on her, she's only been mm -hmm. in one other high profile movie and she plays somebody who plays that sport in it. It was made by all the same people. Uh, she shouldn't have track to town. Are you talking about track town? Like she's a runner? Yeah, 
track town that's right yep so i i really that's why it's on here because it's neat it's really neat that they made it that way and it it it's very cool it's very improvisational um our characters are really sad like her event is extremely early it's like on like the second day of the olympics and she goes out and does a personal best, but still comes in like seventeenth or something, and is just yeah sort of devastated by it and can't can't quite get over it. And he plays a volunteer dentist who's on the sort of medical team in the Olympic Village, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And this is like the first adventurous thing he's ever done in his entire life. He's this very insular and shy guy who's. But whose mission is the opposite of hers. He just came to meet people and to, you know, he's nope. He's treating all these people. Many of them don't speak English. Nick's scenes with the different people that he has appointments with are delightful. The two young um, South Korean ladies who play his little, like, receptionists, volunteers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> delightful. And and real people. And it just, it's it's glorious. There's It just... There's a lot of spontaneity that comes from that. I don't think it's some brilliant yeah. movie, but it was unexpected to me, and it was it was I waited all this time. Of course, it was shot, and then it came out a couple of years after the Olympics, and now here we are a couple of years later talking about it. But um, you know, if you like the uh, those cute sort of sweet improv comedies, and you want to see one with a rather unique setting, um. They're both really good actors. I was impressed with both of them. The it's the their issues between each other sort of go round and round in a way that's kind of annoying. That that comes from not having a super constructed plan when you go into something. Yeah. But it's more than made up for by the this just the weird spontaneity that happens around them and some really delightful like uh supporting performances that come from a handful of people that aren't even actors and a handful of people that are actors that you've never heard of and may never hear of again. Right. It's very, very right. cool. So Nick, Excellent. to my mind, Nick's the only recognizable face in it. And it's not like he's some big superstar. Right. Um, What's he most yeah. famous for the, that. Well, Nick Kroll, he's Nick Kroll show. And he was, you know, he's been on a bunch of stuff, right. You know, he's created big mouth on Netflix and, <clears throat> um yeah i mean he was uh he was the caveman in the geico caveman tv show spinoff that uh that tried they tried many 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 years ago i like that um, show. i wish that was still there. <laughs> no nick crawl i mean nick Kroll's, i like the uh, idea just, of a bunch of metrosexual neanderthals living in LA. i think that's yeah that's always been hilarious to me and i miss it mm. Bring it, back yeah, the caveman was... for Christ's sakes. <laughs> uh no, I the, mean I mean Nick. The gecko been... isn't funny anymore at all. He's yeah, he's just I mean, no offense to him, he's doing his best, but but Dr. Rick though, a Dr. Rick, that's he's the he's the winner right there. Oh, what does he do? Uh, he's the guy who tries to he he helps people who become their parents. Oh yeah, those yeah. are spectacularly good. Yes. Every yeah. time they come on, I sit and sit through yep. them. That that lady with the pillows on her couch, man. That's yep. that is comic gold. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's and it, yeah, really. He's <laughs> he's terrific. And yeah. the the guy, the people who they get. I I mean, I had I, no idea the, the those were even for Geico. So the messaging is off somehow. But the 
But well, it's I either Geico it. or Progressive. I don't know. It's one of those. I don't know. I've um, seen it of them a hundred times and I love them, yeah. but I'm not connecting with what they're selling. And that's yep. usually a bad sign. Yep. And um, it's like if you're in an 80s band with three different lead singers, you know, no one ever really knows who you are. It's just part of the deal. That's right. Yes, I will say to that. Um, Speaking of one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's, well that's done. my. Was that a Thank pun you. or did uh, that just happen by accident? No, that was intentional. I, I, I'm going to feast on that one all day. Nice. Uh, being able to pull, <laughs> Good job. Yes. Yes. Out at uh, <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Um, all right. Uh, next up is Wild Mountain Time. Oh, yeah. Time spelled T-H-Y-M-E. Like the uh, like the thing you cook with or like the spice. Yeah, the the the. Um, this is uh I hated this movie, but I, I don't it's oh. not hateable and contemptible per se. It's just it, it's based on a play and I bet you the play is really fun because it's it's John Patrick Shanley, the, the renowned uh, Irish American New York playwright who mm-hmm. is writing this story. It's sort of this frivolous romance that has all this has all this little bit of Irish lore and Irish music in it, and it takes place in mm-hmm. Ireland. And I think if you're a New York theater audience and you go and see this sort of potpourri with this sort of fun romantic comedy elements in it, you'd be fairly delighted for an evening. I think that the the bad accents and all that stuff like it wouldn't bother you. It would all be sort of part of the thing. Mm-hmm. But in a film, it's just... Ugh, it's just not it it just doesn't work right at all and it, it, it's a shame because it's a very well-meaning piece that wants to entertain people and most people in ireland were appalled by it <laughs> I, I i didn't have that reaction to it but i was just like yeah this is not very good it's got uh emily blunt in it yeah here, let me quick. Let me well. Let me give the uh, the little. I mean, this this plot synopsis is a little longer, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the headstrong farmer. Oh, the headstrong farmer Rosemary Muldoon <laughs> has her heart set on winning her neighbor Anthony Riley's love. The problem is Anthony, played by Jamie Dornan, seems to have inherited a family curse and remains oblivious to his beautiful admirer. Stung by his father Tony, played by Christopher Walken. Did you find this the back of the video box? No, this is IMDb. This is the only thing the, the Holy little synopsis on IMDb. Right. Uh, father Tony uh, plans to sell the family farm to the American nephew John Ham. Anthony's jolted into pursuing his dreams in this comedic, moving, and wildly romantic tale. <laughs> wow. That's, that's that's literally what was that's on. really complex. Um, yeah, it's it, it and and it it is it has all that in it, but <laughs> yeah, it's all there. It does. I mean, it does. It has all that in it, but it it just it, I don't know. I was you know we were lying obviously at the top of the show. This this film has some hot stars in it but it even jamie dornan's irish accent he's irish this doesn't sound right the whole movie feels like a put on in a way that a, a movie mm. just in a way that his play absolutely can and a movie just can't and it's just one of those different it's not the plays 
if you're going to do a real play, if you're going to do like a Ken Loach play or something, then you've got to get the Irish right. But if you're going to do this right. sort of thing, you know, blah, 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 are you going to do some old winsome thing about immigrants or something? I mean, you, there's a lot you can get away with. You, you you get out your tapes, you just sort of do it, you you dress the part, and you, everybody knows it's a it's a put-on, and a, a film just can't work that way. The curse isn't convincing. I didn't understand the squabbles over the land. John Hamm plays a, a John Hamm type guy who's charming, but is like going to yep. come in and I like John Hamm a lot, actually, but yeah. he, he just, he's so wasted in this, you know, this movie yeah. that lacks the imagination to give him something interesting to do. So they just bring in the obvious guy who can negotiate his way through this mess, which he does. Emily's fine, but she's, the part is terrible. It's, it's, she's wildly inconsistent all over the place, the character, uh, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken again, the Irish accent mate. It it it's it it's not even that he's doing a bad job. It's just that it lands so wrong uh, coming off it, it out of his mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're so used to what Christopher sounds like that you you just. That's weird that he even did it. Uh, I I saw him years ago in um in the dead on Broadway and um, every, you know, and, and, and another Irish play and everybody in that play, you know, had, you know, had nice thick Irish accents, but not Christopher Walken. He, He's just doing, he was just doing Christopher. No, this and, would have been better if he would have taken the same. I mean, yeah. you'd have been like, what is he even from Ireland? But it, it, but you'd have gotten over that quicker than every time he talks, yeah. it just making you flinch. So mm-hmm. Wild Mountain Time, it's a harmless enough movie. I don't want to turn people off who want a sort of, you know what I mean, who want to like travel log like romantic comedy. It is that, but it it doesn't it doesn't land any of that stuff in a meaningful way, which is shameful because it's just the follow up writing and directing job from um, this was years ago now, but from uh, Doubt, which is a near yeah perfect script and film and and they can't all be doubt you know john john writes from his life and when he's a hired gun to adapt certain things he kind of sucks so so i don't want to change him yeah. or put him in in a different kind of box or anything but it just 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 wasn't very good and i mean his scripts going back you know most famously um what's the one that share Moonstruck. one for yeah yeah Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Yeah, so that's the kind of thing we're talking about, but where it's kind of magic and moonstruck here, it just all sort of falls flat. That must be the Irish mm-hmm. curse. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Next up is Seven Days in Entebbe. Uh, the 19th or 20th like um, adaptation of the, the 70s um, hijacking of the... Um, was it a French plane? That yeah, was... Air, Air France uh, from Tel Aviv to Paris. But it's full of Jewish people, and it was it was mm-hmm. it was kid it was hijacked for that reason by um, Palestinian terrorists at the time. Although the seventies terrorists were a lot fuzzier than the ones we see in films today in in post nine eleven films. I don't I don't know if that 
I'm not trying to make light of this <laughs> this event. It's just been t told so many times. Um, mm -hmm. What this movie brings to it, though, that's really special is a couple of really good leads, and it and it's the first film I remember that's told from the hijacker's point of view, almost primarily. That's mm -hmm. unique uh, in, in, yeah. in in the telling of it. It's it's usually about there's a daring raid and a heroic rescue that happens at the end of this event. Um, Idi Amin gave the terrorists uh, sanctuary to land in what? Where's he from? Angola, Uganda. Yeah, Uganda. Know, Uganda. Of course. How could I forget? I because I forget everything these days. If it weren't for Joel, this show would just be motor mouth nonsense for two hours. You have no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, Uganda. Thank you, Joel. That, of course, that's where Idi Amin was dictator. Um, and Idi Amin's a great, not, I mean, not a really terrible person, but he's a fascinating person. That's a, a really fun yeah. role for some for a decent actor to to chew on. We saw Forrest Whitaker take it all the way to the podium in Last King of Scotland, and in this film, it's mm -hmm. non so. Uh, say his name for me, uh, non non so. What's that? The British actor oh, who uh, plays him uh, in this. Uh, uh. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I was looking. His at name's the on the tip of my tongue, but I was about to say it wrong, and I prefer to hear it right. If I had it in front of me, I could God, say it. Come on. Uh, he's why is he not listed toward Probably. the top? Yeah, because they do it all in order of appearance, and he comes into the story relatively late. Uh, and Nanzo uh, Ananzi. Yeah, thank you. Nanzo Ananzi. Yep. Yeah, you'll if you don't know the name, which you should, but if you don't, you'll as soon as he hits the screen, you will recognize him. He's a very, very memorable actor who's been in tons of stuff. Uh, and the two main characters are uh, remind me the German actor's name. Uh, we're talking Daniel Brühl. Yeah, Daniel Brühl. I just I love Daniel Brühl. I really yeah. think he's fantastic. And and Rosamund Pike is the other, and she's fantastic as well. Mm -hmm. So look, it's it's a rather uh, stolid retelling of this story, but it gets a lot of the details right, and it's it's not very sensationalistic, which I appreciated. So I learned a lot about it. Um, even though I kind of knew about it and already seen a couple of movies, you know, there's a Charles Bronson movie <laughs> made of this, uh, and there's other, and there's just many. It, it's an interesting story. It's like it was like the big hijacking story of the seventies. Mm-hmm. When and it launched sadly, it launched a trend of many, many hijackings after that, which then sort of stopped happening um, until they were revived in the new century. And it it's interesting. But the most interesting thing about it to me, and this this will be a good, this will either make you want to go watch it or this will say, okay, absolutely not. Is the moments in it and the bookends of the film are all intercut with with modern dance pieces, interpretive dance pieces about the event. <laughs> and um, I'm a big fan of modern dance. Um, believe it or not, it's true. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I haven't been my whole Hold life. But... I gotta I gotta mark this so I can pull this out as a sounder. Well, you, we always that. talk about dance sequence, but the dance sequences yeah. I like tend to be a little more traditional <laughs> and just sort of beautiful. Like I find them to be beautiful moments of visual storytelling. Um, modern dance is trickier. It's and it's frankly it's easier to make fun of because it's it's it tends to be very dramatic or you know and, and 
lots of heightened movement and and it tends to just sort of wrench the emotion out of whatever its particular concept is and and it's mm-hmm. one of those kinds of art where you're not even really you're not necessarily supposed to get it the way you get a traditional narrative you're supposed to get something out of it and yeah. you know i i really like that i like seeing it i like seeing a, some a really amazing modern dance company like i just like seeing some of their pieces shot with big cinema cameras and stuff like it's it's a really neat way to watch those and yeah and i i bought into that but i can see how it might it's a weird choice and i can see how it would be a deal breaker for certain people so (laughs) yeah um but that 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 to me is what sets this movie apart otherwise it really feels like they traveled back into the 70s with 70s cameras and they shot a sort of cinema verite like crime thriller with really good Mm. actors it's it's it that's good enough to sit down and watch but and if you've never if you never heard of this event it's a good it's i mean i don't know all the real life details but this film feels unsensationalistic it really feels like it kind of nails it sure and you guess you're just a i mean it it is a little it, it is charles bronson free but, yeah, no uh, Charles Bronson coming in at the end. There's no yeah, gotta wait. You gotta weigh what you want. Do you want like a, a, something a little bit more historically accurate, or do you want your Charles Bronson? Charles Bronson, other than wearing his shades for the entire uh, Operation Thunderbolt, is what it's called. Spoiler alert: mm-hmm. this all happened in real life. So, which he probably wouldn't have done. Does a pretty good job playing the Israeli agent that comes in at the end. That is yeah. kind of the bold act. I mean, the the film eventually calls for a bold action hero to step forward and say, ah, "We're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna do this. <laughs> yeah. We're either gonna yeah. let this go on forever, or we're gonna do this. And this is this is this isn't a. There's no foolproof way to do it. To go in there with guns and to just take everybody back it, you know there's yeah. going to be casualties and there were innocent ones and it you know it but it it actually it's it's not that far off it's not that it was not that bad of an idea back during that whatever it was plus that movie came out in 1980 it came out like three years later yeah. so that's a good oh, one wow, i can't yeah. remember what it's called but uh, what's a what's our movie we're even talking about called? Not a very good name. <laughs> I should I should have thought this through. <laughs> Not nine days in Entebbe. It's got a number in it, so that I always yeah. forget the number. Something days in Entebbe. Uh, Child Brownson Entebbe movie raid on Entebbe is what I. Oh, is what's what the I one we're talking called. about called? Uh oh. Uh well. That's on your list that I gave you, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. Oh, the raid on Entebbe. You can seven, see that sorry, seven days on and yeah, seven, seven days, days in okay. is what we're talking about. I'm sorry, I thought you were looking for the name of the uh, hey, no, it's, movie. It's cool that we got them both in there, and it's uh, very cool that they both have the word Entebbe in them, which means it'll be easier for you guys out there to find should you be inclined to watch either of those. And raid on Entebbe was a TV movie. Yeah, Irvin Kirshner did it. Yeah. It's good. I mean, it that's a legit good movie. It's that's one of those, you know, Brian's song. They're this handful of like really good TV oh, yeah. movies that uh, and they're all kind of from that same era that 
ha, whose legend have grown through time, and this mm -hmm. is certainly one of them. Yafit Koto plays Edie Amin in this one, and Peter Finch. Yafit Koto, baby. Martin Balsam. Yeah. Yeah. Martin Balsam, Solid. if you need some old guy to sit in a room complaining about stuff, he's your man. He's your man. Isn't he in Psycho, um, too? Isn't that Martin? Uh, Martin Balsam, best known for uh, his, uh, <laughs> is Martin Balsam still alive? It's one of the suggested. Nope. Suggest yes, he was in Psycho. I know. He's also in All the President's Men. He's the guy, we'll just say without trying to spoil Psycho, he's the guy at the top of the stairs in Psycho. <laughs> yep. In that amazing take your breath away shot. That's Martin. I thought that was right, but I am not really sure. He's in, uh, isn't he? He's in like Saint Elmo's Fire too. I only know all the cheesy movies he's in. He had a really long career full of great stuff. So. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, all the President's Men, Twelve Angry Men, A Thousand Clowns. Uh, it was one of the Twelve uh, Angry Men, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. Just, yeah, you scroll through this, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, if you want TV guests spots that he you know he was a go-to same out yeah saying almost fire um yeah boy i love that see. scene in saying almost yeah. fire where it's mayor winningham's whole family and you should start a franchise i just i <laughs> felt that sort of i felt <laughs> We're way yeah. off the plot now. This is this is <laughs> when we do a show first thing in the morning, and I get all medicated before we come on the air. Uh, you never know. You you're gonna start talking about films from 2019. You're gonna talk about them too much. Yep. And eventually, you're gonna be talking about the <clears throat> your favorite, but that everyone else thinks is the lamest scene in Saint Almost Fair. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the world of science. Fiction. Just to finish that thought, I just uh, I sympathize oh, yeah. with her. All the they all got it put together. Everybody's got a future. Like to me, that's that movie's mm -hmm. meaning in a nutshell. And it sort of loses the plot a little bit with all the soap opera crap going on. But yeah, yeah. that moment is like, yeah, what are you gonna do now? No, it's like that moment from it's a really impolite version of that, you know, the Scene from The Graduate, you know, well, you could be anything right. you want. What are you yeah. going to be? <laughs> yeah, what are you going to be? Plastics. I love that. Um, uh, all right, moving on to uh, the 2019 film, Io. Oh, yeah. Io, if it wasn't from 2019, it would have gone on my little uh, low fidelity science fiction list because that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's got a really awesome poster with uh, Margaret Qualley looking all dramatic and with all these planets mm -hmm. and stuff in the background. And I just, I want to warn you guys out there, if if you're not like me and you haven't seen every low-budget science fiction movie ever made uh, or read all these science fiction books, the, the poster is a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> not every time, but you gotta go into these films thinking that the poster is a lie it's a roger corman trick to get you to watch something that was shot for 25 bucks you know in the new mexico like <laughs> desert it is not it's a lie so okay that said yeah. There's no big grand space adventure. There's no massive evacuation of Earth. All the things. Yep. What's the synopsis for this thing say? Uh, this one. Uh, this one I actually had to pull on Wikipedia. The uh, 
IMDb didn't really have much. Um, no, but that's what we like. We like it to not have much, so we don't have to listen to a paragraph about it. One sentence is awesome if you can. Hold if you on, can get hold there. on, hold on. Yeah, I just remember it, like not even having that. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. A young scientist searches for a way to save a dying Earth. She finds a connection with a man who's racing to catch the last shuttle off the planet. Yeah, that is pretty much what it's about. She's a scientist. You watch her lifestyle in this sort of Earth is ruined world. And then her her isolated life's life and her, frankly, sense of false hope about what her mission has been is rattled by the appearance of a stranger played by Anthony Mackie and mm -hmm. Anthony Mackie and Margaret Qualley like are aces. And I'm sure that's probably what draws people to it thinking, well, well, they wouldn't be in anything that wasn't super exciting or whatever, but it, it's not super exciting. It really is a film about environmental and emotional ideas and it, it, issues of legacy and, and, and it, it's not bad, but, but it, that, we're evacuating yep. Earth, the last shuttle off. The it chase, is, it's, none of that is in this. It's just, yeah. it's a much quieter, smaller, intimate, and contemplative thing. Um, it's not it does we arrive do, on Io and have to find a way to civilize this savage world. It, like most good, cheap science fiction, it, it has... <laughs> it has themes and stuff at its core that it's trying to evaluate. And it, the other stuff is just, if you get a little right. bit of it, be grateful for it. That's, that's how I would sell it. But I like mm -hmm. IO has a terrible IMDB rating and an awful Netflix rating. And it's, it's because I believe in my heart fully that it is because people were tricked into watching it by a, a trailer yeah. that makes it seem far more exciting than it is. And artwork yeah. that sells you this, big science fiction movie that it isn't but as far as l small sci-fi stories go and we'll get to a few in the coming days here or coming weeks i guess that, it, I, I mean, it's uh, a decent one honestly so yeah <clears throat> i mean let's let's give it up for this imdb reviewer who's like this doesn't earn it shouldn't earn this amount of bad reviews right it's a quiet movie full of hope the thing that's wrong is the trailer lured it lured in the wrong audience. That's right, and and they deserve to be punished for that. But it, it's unfortunate that a bunch of artists who made a thoughtful film were yep. got punished for a bunch of marketing people who who sold what they what they wanted instead of what they had, which is a real awful thing. I think. It's, yep. You know, we although we've seen it time and time again. Well, there's more coming up. We'll talk about. We'll talk about the selling of what you wished they the you know the studio would have put in front of you instead of what is actually there, right? But right. watching somebody go around and water plants and stuff for like an hour for two minutes in the trailer <laughs> probably would have been would have made it seem kind of dull. Would have been like, come see this movie, Io. <laughs> the trailer is shameful. It really is. Yep. It is. I recommend watching it, but I recommend watching it after you watch IO if you're so inclined. Yep. Um, all right. Next up is Storm Boy. Storm Boy. You know, I never saw the original Storm Boy, but Storm Boy is in a, <clears throat> a, a, a it's it's like an Australian family classic. It may, and of course, it's mm -hmm. therefore it's penetrated in the other 
former parts of the empire. So the English love it. Canadians really like it. But it never really made its mark in America like a lot of things of this type. Um, yeah. I wish I could say I've seen it. I've never seen the original Store Boy, which is about a boy who nurses. What are the animals in it? They're the uh, pelicans? They are or? Pelicans, yep. Pelican. He nurses a uh, injured pelican back to or a bunch and raises a bunch of pelican babies and then has to teach them how to fly and set them free and stuff. And I mean it's it's a beloved family film from the late 70s early 80s I can't remember which. This is weird. This is like a sequel because part of it takes place in the present day where Jeffrey Rush plays the kid all grown up and part of it is a remake because it's him telling the story of this and they're just doing going through all the emotions of that again. It, you oh, know, yeah. If you like animals, pelicans are interesting. It, Australia is interesting. So there's a lot here where you're like, wow, this is sort of a window into something that, I, that yeah. I haven't really seen before. And I didn't love it because it's a little cloying and everything, but it... Uh, compared to something like what we review, what Red Dog, another Australian, you know, mm -hmm. compared to that, it's it's wonderful. Like it's really kind of unimpeachably great because it just doesn't it doesn't it's complicated and it doesn't it doesn't take the easy way out very often, which I really appreciate. And it's pretty coastal Australia is lovely, and these these animals and this this the child actor interacting with them like that's all hard mm -hmm. to pull off and the movie does a good job but it's still it it does sort of if you've seen fly away home or if you've seen there's a whole there's a handful of sort of subgenre films like this uh and if you've seen them you've kind of seen them all but every once in a while i think you're in the mood for that and storm boy is 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 advertised correctly the poster is this kid hugging a pelican and that's yep that's about that's about the gist of it that's uh, that, that's gonna be your storm boy. Get yourself a storm boy. That means you need to get a Mister Percival, a pelican. Mister um, Percival, all right. right. Yeah. Next, I up love the names is... of the pelicans too. Yeah. But the hero pelican uh, is Mister Percival. Next up is uh, from 2019, Dreamland. Ooh, yeah, I just watched Dreamland. Uh... Finn Cole and Margot Robbie play. Margot Robbie. Yeah. Play. It's hard to explain. You can't really call what they do like a crime spree, but it's it's sort of a depression era, Badlands sort of Bonnie and Clyde type story. Uh -huh. um, but a teenagers' adventures as a bounty hunter take an unexpected twist. I like that because it's they've heard of these bank robbers and him and his neighbor, their childhood friends decide they're going to be bounty hunters. Um, partly because they're young and stupid and it sounds exciting, but partly because it's the depression and they really, everybody really needs the money. Um, right. So, but one day this incredibly most beautiful woman ever that ever lived shows up in his barn, like injured with a gunshot wound. And it's it's a reversal of what you normally see, you know, the farm girl nursing the the stranger back to health. This is yeah. the opposite. Margot's great in it. Finn Cole's a good actor, and it's really it's pretty. It's this rustic, dusty, widescreen entertainment, but it really is two people talking in a barn. It is not anybody yeah. going on an adventure. It's it the the 
that's the bulk of the film. And there is a bank robbery and there's some stuff that happens, but, um, but it, it's not surprising that it had a hot movie star in it. Um, figuratively now, I, I, you know, someone who's, who's basically opening films in an era where that's very, very rare and rare still for, for the ladies. And they just couldn't, do anything with it it didn't really have a wide release it it just sort of found a little place to come out on home video and streaming at some point and and it it's not a lost gem i'm sorry to say but it's it's still pretty good for what it is so if you're fans of those folks you you can watch it you know with a clear conscience but i i've seen it you've seen it all before that's movies it's right. a lot of those movies crime depression era crime romances are really like there are a lot of them and this isn't one of the better ones unfortunately even if it is a halfway decent independent feature yeah um all right these next two are uh big these were big budget big giant films that uh um were i guess trying to trying to have one last ride uh first <laughs> up is rambo last blood <laughs> Oh man, um, we we didn't, and we never will. Oh, of course, people who watch the show know that we're all big, huge First Blood fans around here. Joel, in particular, but all of us are, even our extended family. Michael, everybody really loves First Blood. First Blood's a really, really yeah. good film. It's very just watched it. Just watched it again over the holidays. It was on. It was on TV, and I'm like, I, I'm yes. This is exact. This is it. Holds up. It's a. It's fantastic i mean it's a really well shot uh it's located its locale is a huge part of the character of the thing the the pacific northwest just comes alive vividly in that film but we don't want to talk about a great film when we can talk about a really (laughs) bad one but look i will say this there are uh five rambo films and this is the third best one so comes in right in the middle of the pack but it it's just it it's it almost feels like it was written not as a rambo film and then they just at some point they plopped rambo down in it yeah um just kind of like die hard three you know it's good but it 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 was started out as something different and then they made it they engineered it to become a die hard movie and you feel that throughout you can't help but feel it throughout the thing yeah um and this isn't anywhere near as good or entertaining as Die Hard 3, but it does have a, 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 a siege action scene at the end where all these um, crime guys who basically kidnap kids and turn them into prostitutes and drug them out and use them and throw them away. They really are the worst people ever. Like all the, like other than in the first Rambo film, all the, all, first blood all the villains that come later are all just, just grossly yeah. despicable and and are doing awful things um you know second rambo film was a big action film was a huge hit even compared to the first one but it's pretty dumb yeah it's man single-handedly 80s, fights yeah. fights the the uh <laughs> vietnam war again and this time mm-hmm. he wins um and then the the third one where he's helping out the taliban take over afghanistan is one of the most absurdly stupid film action films you'll ever see but when he was older he 
Stallone, he got, he did, he did another Rocky movie, Rocky Balboa, which is really, really good, which sort of gets that movie back to its roots. And he did a Rambo movie, which is called, is called John Rambo. That's the second mm-hmm. best one in the series. And that's like a bunch of missionaries in, in the far East get kidnapped and are being tortured. And he just goes in there as a one man army and just wipes out all these rebels and criminals and stuff. And it's, it's her, it, you know, the other three movies, even first blood, which is substantive, it's our popcorn movies. The, the Rambo reboot film was just this, it was a, a appallingly violent it would just he just eviscerates people and they explode and they kind of just get their innards all over everything and i mean it's just it's it was it's hard to explain but it was just really really gross Mm -hmm. but it was really serious which was welcome it's hard to explain if you're if you're into the carnage the film at least was serious about it. Unlike the third Rambo film and really the second, which were just really corny and ridiculous. Uh, this film continues with the seriousness. It's got an amazing siege sequence at the end where Rambo breaks out all the old tools of the trade and takes down this invading army of people. It's far more exciting and believable than the finale of, uh, Skyfall, which it resembles very much. (laughs) Sure. It's far better from a choreographed violence way. That end of Skyfall is as ridiculous as the rest of Skyfall is physically hardly any of it even makes any sense. So I appreciated that, but the way we had to do to get there and the way we send Rambo out, at least in John Rambo, he was a he was on a rescue mission. And yeah, it was gross and the and a hundred and twenty uh Asian extras and stunt people had to get completely blown away for him to rescue one person. It still was a rescue mission. This is pure revenge. Something terrible happens to people he cares about. It's really terrible. And he just, he sends everybody away and sits down in the farm and waits for the army to come. And there's something Mm -hmm. about that. That's exciting because you know, you're going to get this incredible action, but it's yep. it's what people said about it. I mean, people people who at that point wanted a movie like that got what they wanted, and everyone else were like, "Why are they still making these?" I mean, this will not get you back on Team Rambo, the franchise, right? And right. and it and it does. I don't think it needed to be as dark as it was to to be a effective violent action thriller either, which it was. Right, but. Compared to the next movie, it was tonally consistent. It was very serious. Stallone goes through the action bits and the dramatic bits with equal aplomb. You know, they, there's a vision for what this film was supposed to be that I can, yeah. If I even if I didn't enjoy it, I can sort of appreciate it. My favorite, my favorite part is uh, is when he is sitting on the on the you know just sitting on the the front deck, the and, rocking uh, chair on the on the front the, the rocking chair, so Americana, and and Adele and Adele's song from the movie comes up where she's going, a Rambo, it's Rambo, it's Rambo. That doesn't happen. I think that don't that listen to him. He's not even seen it. Why would you sully my my Rambo Last Blood <laughs> review like that? It is. Uh, it, it's a. It's a. It's a. You go home and wait for the bad guys <laughs> yeah. to come. That's how Skyfall that ends. Is. It's very, very much the same. 
There's tunnels. There's these outbuildings. There's a barn, a house. You know, you get the whole shebang. It's really yep. similar. And as I say, <laughs> it's better. But uh, um, but it's much scroll, bloodier too. Scrolling through some some of the stuff on Rambo, I do say like one of the things is like um, I can't. I already clicked past it, but it's like blah 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 the national blah 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 said that rambo's tunnels seemed much more sanitary than than the tunnels in vietnam or whatever it was like what is happening that well, is a fantastic take they're in arizona uh, or whatever and not yeah in vietnam, I, just, so. I just like that that was that was the take that he that this reviewer felt necessary to put to put it well, you know at least those those tunnels man he uh clearly those are some good tunnels. Until they weren't. The, yeah, you could eat off those tunnels. No, you can't anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless uh, you're a cannibal. There, those, there you go. Yeah, you can't anymore. Those tunnels get 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 the full show, basically. Why why they follow them down into the tunnels, I have no idea. But yeah. the tunnels are... Well, there's other places, too, but the tunnels are where the fun happens, man. The amount of booby traps... <laughs> And that's tunnels waiting for those uh, slave monger guys from Mexico. You know, yeah. There's a couple of nice Mexican characters in it too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just and, a couple, uh, our, but there's a, a couple. couple they, yeah. they 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 got a couple in there, and I appreciate the effort. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, Bad Boys for Life. Have you seen the Bad, Bad Boys, Boys movies, Joel? I saw the first one. That wasn't very good. It certainly didn't deserve a sequel that was bad, and this is even worse. This is bad. I don't. I, it, although I'll say this for it, it even the because it's Michael Bay, right? Even the yeah, um, yeah. even the the lamest like establishing shot or second unit shot is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's for yeah. a dumb action comedy. It's really really well lit and shot. But you know, so are the Transformers movies, and what are you? What? How on earth did you show up to the third Transformer movie? Okay, the first. Who knows? It could be good, right? I went to that right. stupid movie. The second, you should know better. But who knows? You know, maybe now that they've established the Transformers, they'll just hit the ground running and tell a decent story. Well, they they didn't. It's terrible. It's worse, mm -hmm. ten times worse than the first one, which was the worst action movie of the previous year so when you're sitting in transformers 3 you gotta ask yourself why, why am i here yep what what's, happened what what's happened wrong in with my me? life i mean really yeah, talk ask yourself the tough questions why are you yep. here and if the answer has something to do with you like to quote turn your brain off i invite you to turn off the movie show with joel and ryan as well <laughs> and believe me we need all the viewers we can get but yeah we yeah we i mean we love nobody here but we're gonna challenge nobody you. wants to turn their brain off that much to enjoy the, a third mm -hmm. transformers movie and i that's, understand that's not that just putting the that's yeah. not put turning your brain off that's taking your brain out putting it in a jar <laughs> tucking it into a nice cool dark place <laughs> And and somehow making it to the movie theater, and then Roger, going 
Go. I'm paraphrasing, but in Roger Ebert's review of Event Horizon, he said, you could go to Event Horizon. You could also put a metal bucket over your head and have your friend hit it with a stick for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's pretty great. Um, I don't think Event Horizon is that bad, but it, that's a, I mean, that's a fantastic diss on a movie you know he, mm-hmm. he had the words when he wanted to use them um this it's just so stupid you guys is this what we want i don't you know there are some critically acclaimed and highly celebrated films coming up that are just as stupid okay so maybe mm-hmm. not in this show we won't get to them but it it's it is stunning how t- uh and it's p- partly it's culturally i'll admit that I don't really get it. I think if you grow up watching Tyler Perry sitcoms and stuff, you you get used to yeah. that. That there's this there's a physical gag followed by a bunch of jokey comedy followed by an extremely overwrought, touching, huggy moment, and you're kind of going along for the ride with all that. And you yeah. because each of them has their own value in their own way. You don't really mind that they're all crammed together in this weird, inconsistent sandwich of a thing. Yeah. And I, okay, I and I'm averse to that. So because I just nothing worse than you know getting jerked yeah. around by something constantly. I, you know, I'm this movie ends with everybody crying and it's just you're like you in no way earned anything. You've had three movies to get here to the end and you didn't do it. And then to make matters worse, you had one of the worst like weird post-credit scenes I've ever seen in my life. Never, where you're like, well, maybe there's going to be more bad boys, you know, and it's just like, I certainly hope not, you know. Yeah, there. it's, I mean, um, there's nothing in here except a a blank IMDB credit saying that, uh, that they're, that there's some other one planned, yeah, yeah, proposed. Michael Bay is slated to do a fourth. Will Smith, very famously, you know, he didn't do the Suicide Squad sequel, which he could have used on his resume. He suffered through the first Suicide Squad movie, so why the hell didn't he do the one that seemed, at least on the page, like it was going to be fun? I have no idea. He didn't do the Independence Day sequel. Now, that turned out pretty bad, actually, but it's still way better than this, and way better than Bad Boys 2, frankly. So no sequels except this crap. I just don't understand it. Maybe it's him and Martin Lawrence. They have an undeniable chemistry together. That's fun. They and it, a buddy cop movie. The more you do them, the more that lived in yeah. bro sort of friendship. That's in this. To be fair, it's not a total well, waste. Well, I of think time, that something like that probably does appeal to to Will Smith. I mean, he did, uh, you know, the number of Men in Black movies that he did. He that's clearly, true. you know, um, you know, it's it's so clearly it's that I forgot about that. It's that two guys, you know, of you know, two different types of guys, but they're coming together. You know, it, so yeah, and probably he's just, you know, it was a chance to get together and work again with his his friend Martin Lawrence. Uh, so. Like okay, yeah. So it's just uh, yeah, too all I, over the place for me. You know, if they wanted to make a crime story with some laughs, they could have. If they wanted to make a comedy, then they needed to take the foot off the crime pedal just a little bit. And and 
you know, have a le few less headshots to people, a few less people getting run over by cars, and you might add something. Right. To me, it just, right. this film, it's, and where it ends up, it, it's just, you, you know, it, it, you, in real life, it's not real life. It's total fantasy, so I don't mean to equate, but he just, you just can't get there. You can't juggle all these things. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And even in a dumb film, it, it doesn't feel right when they try. Everything about Rambo Last Blood feels right, even though it's dark and incredibly ugly. Like, as far as let's, you know, let's end this with something else, it does the job. This film is just like more noise more nonsense all in the service of nothing that you can really look yeah. back and say, well, what, what was good about this? What, what was the story about? Why did this happen there? The, yeah. Like I say, the chemistry between the two were pretty good. The, the, they have a young team of whippersnappers that they work with too, that are populated with some interesting actors that, are really welcome when they show up. It's really best line in the whole thing because they keep appearing. They're cops and they can't be doing what the bad boys are doing because they've gone off on a bad boy mission. But they keep yeah. appearing to sort of save the day, which is fun. And when, at the end, when they appear for the final sort of showdown and they show up and they start unpacking all their little high-tech cop crap, Martin's standing by the door and he says, I just feel better when they're here. <laughs> <laughs> and that was neat yeah. you know so it's it's not yeah. it, it's not terrible but it just is terrible it could it's the, yeah. the people you have working on this even michael bay himself it's like you yeah you know anyone who can shoot this guy talking on his cell phone like this and have it just be perfection visually just do something that means something man you know he did do the yeah. to his credit he did the benghazi movie which is pretty good with but it, I just, I yeah. don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I'm beating a dead horse, man. But Michael Bay is never going to do anything. That's, that's just, that's, that's a ship has sailed, but it frustrates yeah. me. Cause even the third, oh, okay. uh, lethal weapon film, which is equally bad in all the same ways, got you through from beginning to end. It worked. It was over yeah. and you're like, well, that's, well, actually, the third one's pretty good. It's the fourth one. <laughs> right. Right. Sorry, it's the fourth one I'm thinking of. God, there were four of those things. And they're doing another one. And Mel Gibson's going to be doing gonna another it. one. There you go. I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Unnecessary World. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, um, that I'm does getting too our... oldest for this shit. <laughs> Isn't that what they did the last uh, time the Who went on tour? They were like, "Hope I yeah. die before I get oldest." <laughs> <laughs> you guys are super old. Yep. Yeah. That's, hope I die before. We'll be joining old. you shortly. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, we're making um, fun of you while we can. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, so that so that is um, you know prior to twenty twenty one. So now. After, thank you for sticking with us, dear listener. Now we're actually going to get in to 2021 and the films that... Uh, yeah, speaking of Tyler the, Perry sitcoms, we're going to just totally whip you around here in, yep, in a completely yep. different direction. Yep, and uh, we're going to start our, uh, our, our, our talking of, uh, of 2021 uh, with um, 
with my little contribution to the effort, uh, the top documentaries that I saw this year. Now, I didn't Ooh. see every documentary that came up this year. There are some that look really, really interesting that I did not get to. Um, you want to play the countdown are... theme for the documentaries since they're in oh, countdown hey, that's form? Gonna... Just for yeah, fun? That, that's... Just for fun. Let's do it. Uh, where's my countdown? And boom. Woo. Ten seconds. Nine, 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 eight, eight, seven, seven, six, five, five, four, three, two, one. Did you see the new intro? Yeah. For the video? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, just add a little. It has a couple more explosions in it. Yeah, um, I just wanted to have a big fireball explosion. Yeah. It, I think so. Um, maybe I'll. I think our old rustic, like painted tent logo doesn't really lend itself to the sort of modern graphic design that you <laughs> yeah. do in our. But whatever, that's cool. It yeah. it takes all kinds. So that's the only thing I it, thought. I thought, oh look, that little. That little old timey fun time ice cream parlor logo of ours is like <laughs> it's in space Fly now, space. and now look, yeah. it's over here. And I was, after five years, we're yeah, we're flying through space. So I thought that was um, funny, but no, I love it. You know, if you're gonna do uh, cheesy graphic art, the cheesier the better, and that was super fun. And I have to say, the one particular explosion was very well timed. I was impressed. Thanks. Well, you got to you got to um, get it in the bucket if you really want it to work. Some people just put an explosion in there, put one here, put one there. You if I you if made we it happen, right? If we were in right a different time. world and had a lot of and had a lot of time, I would just want to um, shoot the two of us um, just walking towards camera, uh, so that I could uh, like just the reservoir dogs. Post. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, so that I could have us walking away from the explosion. Uh, um, yeah, and have but. Uh, someday maybe. Um, all right. So the, someday. uh, my, someday. Um, my top documentaries, um, like I said, I didn't see everything, but these were, uh, six of them that I really, I really, really did. And really um, as talked about films, a couple of them anyway, as there were this year. So they were certainly worth yeah. bringing up. Yeah. Uh, first one was the Sparks brothers. Um, now I didn't, you know, I didn't know Sparks. I didn't know half Nelson. Uh, uh, you know, I, um, but th these guys are, this is an Edgar Wright documentary. Um, he, and it's, yeah, it's the story of these two brothers who, um, they're like, it's like, they're, they're every band's favorite band. Um, well, that's or, the, you know, that's what these, they say about them, right? They're, they're not yeah. your favorite band. They're your favorite band's favorite band favorite band yeah that's and, a um, that's a clever thing but that's not exactly true they're they're weird they're i've always been weird and avant-garde and yet they've all and yet one song at a time you don't really get the weirdness so much maybe a little bit maybe a little taste of it but yeah but they're they're it's hard to explain it's really hard to explain what the sparks is which is why a documentary is, about yeah. them really is super exciting yeah, yeah. And two brothers who came up in the sort of mid seventies, uh, basically glam rock scene, but they didn't really conform to glam rock. They didn't really conform to new wave. They fit in for a time, but they, 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 they didn't mm -hmm. really conform to it. They were always sort of commenting on it and the things that were going on in the world in these sort of clever ways. Um, yeah, 
their biggest <laughs> hit and their really only hit in America, and it wasn't even really much of a hit, was uh, um, oh, I could sound the tip of my tongue. It's a great song. <laughs> well, I'm not remembering. Sorry, uh, uh, it's uh, it. Yeah. Uh, ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. It's it's a really yeah. funny play on words. It's a, like a two and a half minute song, and it's really really fun. It came out. It came out in the early '80s before. Uh, are you talking about cool places? No. No, that's not it. Uh, what's their number one? Oh, that's this person's number one list. Um, <laughs> he he did his favorite Spark songs. Yeah, they had a minor yeah. hit too with Jane Weedlin of the Go Go's too, and yeah, that's... um, but but that's remembered for, for being her mostly. Um, I predict is the name of the song that I'm thinking of. Oh my god! Wow, ooh, that's a lot of yeah. I predict. It's very clever. Uh, this song will fade out. This song will fade out. This song will fade out. I predict! And, of course, the song doesn't fade out. It just ends abruptly. So you, it, it's, it's a very, very clever song. It's a good place to start with them. It's very catchy and fun. But it's not... It doesn't tell the story. The Sparks are an amazing band. I just... I know them very, very well. So for me, the, it was fun to hear that Edward was doing a doc about them. But, Joel, mm -hmm. you didn't know them. Most people won't. What's the nope. value of that documentary more than anything? It just captures their weird personalities, right? It captures their weird personality. It captures that era, and and also, you know, um, like you, you know, like like they said, it's your band's, it's your favorite band's favorite band. It's you mm -hmm. see the the uh, maybe not a little bit musically the influence that they had, but more so the stagecraft. More so, you you really see, you know you see where Flea and Anthony Curtis of Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you sort of can, you can draw a direct line. Um, like, Oh, that's something that they got from, that they got from, <laughs> sure. uh, from Sparks. Yep. And, um, you know, and, 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 you know, they, and just listening to the, these other musicians um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and people talk about these guys and, and sort of the, sort of the, can you believe it? It's it's almost reverence, but it's sort of tongue in cheek reverence. It's just like, I, ha, what, huh? It's it's because it, you know so they're like there's a there's a there's an element of it to me that I that I felt like um, this shouldn't work, right. but it does, and it does really really well. So that's you know that to me that's why you know I, that's what I found so fascinating and and also from somebody you know I'm not. As as evidenced by the the um, you know the your background, um, which is just your wall. Uh, I you know I don't have uh, I I I consider myself music knowledgeable, but not as steeped in there. But just having never heard, of, like somehow somehow this was it, it was hidden. In, I, I like because I, I do I like a lot. You know I I I like the Go Go's. I like. I like Weird Al Yankovic. I like, you know, <laughs> um, you know, the, the Chili Peppers and you know, I, the, the Franz Ferdinand. I like Franz Ferdinand. They're great. They're a cool band. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's like I, I, uh, it's like how how did I miss this? How did I like literally have a complete they, blind spot on it? They've been there the whole time, like whole virtually time. our whole yeah. lives. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, and like, it is weird. And that's that... what blew me away. 
that's, is what, that's that's the, the reality of does. that is that's true of so many bands that are out there and right. the only thing that makes it so sometimes it's it's not usually because they're failures because there's we you know you can't you can pile all the failed musical projects from here to the moon and back it's it when one is successful to the degree that they are and have had the longevity that they've had the reason you haven't heard of them is because they're from someplace else they're not americans basically that's not to right. say that british bands don't do well here but but they even the best of those have a hard time you know what i mean mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. abba had something like 29 30 something hits over five or six albums and here they had seven and we think of them rather iconically. And now, thanks to Mama Mia and just thanks to the 90s disco revival and stuff, like we know these songs and we think of them as hits, but we didn't know them when they were new, you know, a lot of them and stuff. It sparks us like that. It's, wow, if you just dig a little deeper, you hear all this stuff. There are entire mm-hmm. bands like that who had lives and big, huge hit records and lots of things you know in the charts and lots of videos and stuff and they just because they never hit because that first song that was such a hit in germany didn't hit here they were moved on from very very quickly and that's part of sparks story too is that they just they, they got record deals here in america so their fans could buy their stuff but radio mtv of all people they were tailor made for mtv and and yet, you, you never really saw them on that. And even now, later, you don't really see them on it. But it's a new era. You can go to Spotify and just say, play Sparks. And they, there yeah. they are. Like, they've been which there the whole time. Which is pretty much what I did. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty much what I did after seeing the documentary month, you know, months ago. That's neat. They have a, um, the, they, those two guys wrote a musical, too, that we're going to talk about later in our mm-hmm. your, uh, in review one of the big yeah. musical releases of this year and it's a, yeah. it's fascinating so sparks will come up again soon yeah. um all right my my uh my next one uh that i i, I really dug is called uh, and actually i did find out this was from 2020 i did not know that i thought it was a 2021 release Whatever. um but uh it's mlk fbi and it's um you know it's there's there's not a lot new in in this like from a from a general standpoint when you talk about uh, the fbi's obsession and their idea of of taking down you know we got to take down and discredit martin luther king um you know he's getting too you know he's getting too uppity um for uh to to use a bad term (laughs) um but he, I mean, it's, but the, the, the value of, of MLK FBI and the, the, these documents that were now available is just seeing, you know, just seeing it in black and white, seeing it, uh, it, it just so clearly put out and, and the fear that they had, that the FBI had, that J. Edgar Hoover had, the fear, uh, and Lyndon Johnson, the fear of this man who, uh, you know, who just could rally people with his words. And, um, 
and you know the the lengths that they went to to try to uh, discredit him and to embarrass him and to make him go away, uh, especially, you know, Martin Luther King, not a perfect man, had um, some, uh, some, what is the word, you know, he had some dis- he, he had some discretions. Yeah. Yeah. He had some weak spots that uh, they could attack basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and so the things that they, that they went to. So, I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not going to pretend to be like a Martin Luther King expert or anything like that, but I, you know, I, I've seen a lot. I've, I've read, uh, you know, the, the you know, Martin Luther King as a person, Martin Luther King as a character uh, has been um, some, someone who's, you know, pretty familiar with and, and this part in this time in history. But again, it's just, it's seeing, seeing everything just like, these guys just wrote it down right we got you know and and without and just, thinking about you know it, said it out loud yeah. said it and it, uh, you know mm-hmm. and were just vehemently going after him every way they yeah. possibly could for things that they had that they thought might stick for things they just made up for whatever they just were yeah. going 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 you know, in a time when there was a lot happening in America and, and a healthy, productive FBI would have been useful, they right. they were going after. And you see a little bit of this in Joel's favorite movie of last year, the um, Judah and the Black Messiah. It, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's it's. it's it... It's a real. I mean, it's a great. Yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Black Messiah. You know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover's um, in that uh, as well, played by Martin Sheen. And and they and it's that same sort of thing. It's like the 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 you know the 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 racism is just there. Right. It's just you know, and, and it's and it's that's weird, not even know. the story. This because that's it, the yeah. story is the. What you really see is that the the people who are in charge, the people that have some authority, the people that have the power of the of being able to arrest you and charge you and stuff, are they're weird, obsessive, um, yes, terror yes. at the idea of these people uh, just being what? people. Yeah. <laughs> well, more than that, I mean, yeah. they were catalysts for a better world, and right. The, the, we can see that fairly clearly now with the benefit of history, but they just their their fear and their never give up attacks on them. It is harrowing to see and to see yeah. uh, the thing that this doc does is that it, it it's really more about that. That really is what it's yeah. about. It's about that. Yeah. It's that yeah, process and, yeah. and all the different ideas that they had and all the different ways the, they yeah, tried the to lengths, bring him down. The lengths they went to, yeah, the the absolute lengths that they went to, the um, yeah, the amount of energy spent trying to come up with weird creative plans to you know to to take him down, um, you know, if that energy was spent on anything else, who right. knows what could have been accomplished. Yeah. Um, my uh, my next uh, my next documentary uh, LFG, which stands for Let's F and Go. Uh, it is uh, it's a documentary. It's Doesn't I you know technically this, start with oh I'm sorry you were yeah. just censoring yourself. I was censoring myself so I didn't have to put in a a, a beep later. Continue. Oh here hold on maybe I can do it this <laughs> way I can go. It stands I, for I don't want to put a beep uh, in either. 
So I'm with you. Yeah, uh, I thought I had a, yeah. It stands for let's go. And um, and it's it's the it's the story of the uh, U.S. women's soccer team and their fight for uh, an equal contract with uh, with the men. Obviously, the women's U.S. the U.S. women's soccer team, the most successful uh, national um, international soccer team international soccer team uh, in. Um, there are the national soccer game. team here in the U.S., yeah. but I just mean. Um, and our men's team and our men's team, uh, very much not so. Uh, and yet the the men get, you know, paid significantly more their their appearance. You know, so uh, it, it's that look at equal. Now, now uh, the, this, you know, I really is this a great documentary? No. Does it really get into the 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 details of the lawsuit that the that the team is uh is trying to you know the the on the eve of the world cup they file a lawsuit against u.s soccer um and you know to really capitalize on the on the media exposure uh does it really get into you know what's really the meat of what's in that lawsuit not really no and this is it's a this is an appeal to emotion documentary this is this is to make you realize the the amount of work the sacrifice the, the that 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 these women go through and these women's families go through so that they can continue to uh you know to try to chase their dreams um and it's uh so it's in in some ways it's sort of an advertisement for the lawsuit <laughs> less than it is a, a real in-depth look at it but um but as a you know, as a fan, as a fan of the sport, as a fan of the the team and many of the players, uh, you know, it's just an undeniable look at these amazing athletes, and you know, and, and tracing it all the way back to Title IX, and uh, you know, the the creation of Title IX helped build the, this uh, this program um, that is now not just you know, it's still the dominant. Uh, they're still the dominant team in the women's game. Um, but they're also a huge inspiration to leagues around the world and nations around the world who are starting to take the women's game more seriously and invest in it. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's, so um, I, yeah, I really loved it. It was, you know, it was one of those things that I watched and it was just like, yeah, I just put it into my veins. I could watch these, you know, these clips, these highlights, these women train, I could watch that all day. Um, so uh, I, so I dug that one. Very cool. Um, yep. Uh, and uh, next one is uh, the most talked about documentary of the year. Um, maybe the most highly anticipated documentary that anyone has ever uh, has has ever made. Um, it is the Beatles Get Back. Um, Peter Jackson's Peter Jackson, very very long but fascinating look at um, at the Beatles. Put, putting to you know trying to record their the, uh really um, really long yeah really long well i think they um, you know in his defense because peter jack all every peter jackson thing is too long but the you know and this is no exception but i think i i, I think if you're a, a big time beatles fan or if you're just a, a 
baby boomer wants to sort of call back to this era or if you're a big music fan and wants to see how some of the greatest of all time sort of work together i think they kind of this footage has just been sitting around all this time. We've seen that, little which is bits wild, yeah. and pieces of it through the year, but it it covered the whole uh, making of the entire Let It Be album, yep. which was the final Beatles album released, but it was the penultimate Beatles album recorded. It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was a one-off project that they really could, uh, unlike a proper studio album of theirs, you really could send in a crew and capture the whole thing the way they planned on whipping it together. Yeah. And I think you just couldn't believe what they had. I mean, it, it's, right? It's it, wild. it feels um, like this just keeps going because there's just more of this somehow. I mean, it's all here. And it, it and there are moments of it that are revelatory. I'll let you get back to it. I'm sorry, but because I, I, yeah, no, I didn't even watch the whole thing. But the the when you see the relationships at the end of the band, when they're in each other's presence, one thing that's shocking because they have their differences and you're really starting to see those come into mm -hmm. focus, but they're so respectful of each other, which is not, I think what people expected to see. Right. Even, right. you know, when they stopped doing that was when they were business partners together after the band had broken up and they were not in each other's presence. They became very sort of publicly disrespectful of each other, which was a shame, but that's, mm -hmm how all divorces tend and all breakups tend to go. Um, right. um, you know, to, to me, the, the big, you know, the big overarching thing of this whole thing was to see how rudderless they were once Brian Epstein died. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, he clearly, the, how, how much of these, these four guys um, absolutely relied on him to, to keep the ship of, you know, to keep everybody to clear, you know, clearly Epstein was a brilliant man manager. He knew exactly how to talk to each one of these guys to get the best out of them um, and, and to, to work with each other. And, um, and with, when he died, there literally was this vacuum and Paul trying to just be the good guy. He gave it a go. Know, and, gave it a go, tried to come in and boy, you just, you know, you see moments of magic and then you see moments where the other guys are just like, no, no, what are you doing? This is Paul no. McCartney's legacy is really done wonders by this. Cause he's the only guy in the room that has any perspective of what's going on around him in the yeah. moment. But more than that, I think, you know, John Lennon was an activist and was all these things that McCartney didn't really seem like he was throughout the years. And mm -hmm. John Lennon was taken from us. So he's been sainted and McCartney yeah. lived to make, give my regards to broad street and some music people didn't, weren't as thrilled about. And it's like he, as a result, the, the incredible musical magic that is Paul McCartney has been for whatever reason, just been denied. There's, there's people out there, you know, like, there's people, of course, these are media people who are idiots, but there's people out there doing interviews who think that, you know, who think that John Lennon wrote yesterday and stuff. Like, they just don't really get yeah. who did what and what it is. You can tell by hearing it if you know anything about music. You can really mm -hmm. tell one stanza at a time. Hard to tell in the very early years, but by this point, yeah. it is obvious what is a Paul McCartney song What's a and what's a, even though they're credited together on all of them, Watching yep. Paul McCartney, the true magical moment in it, watching him create Get Back, an all-time great rock and roll single. 
it's from scratch. Yeah, it's bonkers. It it it's just uh, it's this eye opening, shocking, amazing thing. I I, I mm-hmm. was. And I think, and I, you can see that separate of the rest of it. I think if you if you want to see get back the song being created, look that clip up because it just it, yeah. it's incredible. It, it's incredible witness to the creative process of a guy who's just in the moment. Because the documentary does another miraculous thing. It takes these legends on these album covers and it just puts them in this very human place. <laughs> Yeah. Where they're just people and you can relate to them as that. But then you see somebody just pull musical magic and musical history out of the yeah. air above them in the studio. It's And it's, these great moments where, yeah, and these great moments, like even after, you know, the, the, the years spent together and, and all that, you know, it's like you said, you know, there's there's a difference between a Lennon song and a, and a McCartney song. And, and, but also, but to watch like, when you know when McCartney's coming up with you know when he's come up with a lick when he's come up with something and you see the and he's you know he may be over there working you know maybe on the you know McCartney's working on the piano or something and the other guys are kind of goofing around or whatever and then there's this moment where they kind of hit on he hits on something and you literally like a bunch of like I don't know like you just suddenly see the guys it's like <laughs> yeah. and they kind of get they just got they got to gather up their guitars or ringo is like oh yeah here let me uh get my sticks and all of a sudden there's just like this this oh yeah yeah and and you know they they have that they have that unspoken shorthand yeah. uh and there's like hey, yeah and they're, yeah and they're like and they know exactly what they're supposed to do um those moments were so exciting yeah um and in addition to that then you also had this whole thing about the business side of the Beatles and of this album of, mm-hmm. well, we have this album. What is our big thing that we're going to do? And the ongoing discussions that lead to the rooftop concert. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the thing, the giant boat that they're going to do, that thing, you know, we're going to pack a bunch of Middle Eastern people onto a, or we're going to do it at <laughs> the Acropolis. And, you know, and they're like, can we really do that? Yeah, okay. They could have I done mean, anything they wanted. They don't seem yeah, to fully uh, believe it themselves, but they they could have done anything they wanted. It, At that point, by 1968, I mean, they could have done anything they wanted, truly. Um, and uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm kicking myself here for not... Uh, uh, Billy um, Preston. Billy Preston. Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, the, yeah, and the, like the, and the little moments where you see... Again, yeah, and the, there's a few times where this happens. It happens especially on Get Back, the song Get Back. But they're like, you can see the four guys and they they have this song. They have this song kind of done and there's like, yeah, yeah. And you just can tell, like they show them back in the stu- back in the recording, in the booth, listening back to it. And they're just like, I don't, you know, maybe what, uh, and they're like, I don't, you know, you can tell that they know that something's missing. Yeah. And then Billy Preston comes in, who's just, recording something you know down the street and <laughs> comes by to say hi to his friends They're like hey you want to you want to hear what we're working on maybe maybe throw something down and, and he's like boom and then all of a sudden billy preston just like just like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he's just like <laughs> and all and and it's just and you see the you see the four guys just light up and yeah, and yeah so that idea that billy preston was the fifth beetle he certainly is on yep. get back yeah yeah um, well on those um, songs yeah, he's the be, only other be, uh, yeah 
he's the only other guy credited. He's the only other musician credited alongside them on a couple of tunes. Yeah. Yeah, and so, it, his his contribution to those songs are significant. The mm-hmm. other moment I'll talk about. We got to move on from this one, but because you could talk all of it. But the, I love watching yeah. them fight. Yes. over uh, the two of us the whole throughout the whole documentary, and then by the time they're they've recorded it, and they're playing it back. George Harrison, who hated it the most, says, "Well, it really is lovely that." <laughs> <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like well there it is you got there somehow you know yeah um yeah and his it's it's neat it's neat it's a really it's a it's a it, from from a musical standpoint it's a treasure but it really is a human story it really brings yeah. these guys who are they're otherworldly like celebrity figures it really brings them down and you see them in their element which is magical, but you really do see them as the people struggling to just do the next thing and, mm-hmm. and under a tremendous amount of pressure to deliver every time, you know, which it's, it's really cool. That's a, yeah. it's a really cool project, but it, it is super long. I strongly suggest to get back. Paul McCartney writes, get back. That's all you should Google that. You should take you right to it. It's. And yeah, that whole se- Yeah. That sequence is, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty electric. Um, my favorite documentary. There's this isn't the number one documentary of the year, but my personal favorite, the one that I got resonated with me the most, that I had maybe the most fun watching um, this past year was uh, another music documentary called Tina uh, about Tina Turner. And, um, you know, as a child of the 80s and 90s, you know, Tina Turner for me was, it was, um, um, you know, she was private dancer. She was what's love got to do with it. She was Thunderdome. And, um, and, and, you know, and yet I, you know, like I knew of uh, Proud Mary, I knew of it, but I didn't know of the whole Ike and Tina years and, you know, uh, everything going on. Um, you, even from yeah, the this, Angela Bassett movie, you didn't learn all that? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, that was like, yeah, but I when when that movie what when, when what's love got uh, got to do with it? What that that came out in ninety five ish, seven ish, five ish. So like yeah, so I mean, I you know we we were in that's still way later, that but that that's where yeah, that's that, where well, I that's learned where about I, all that. Yeah, that's where I learned about it. But um, uh, I guess but musically, the music of Ike and Tina Turner, I think mm-hmm. maybe and the. Well, it's lost presence. The music and the miraculousness of the music is lost due to mm-hmm. the trauma involved in the relationship. Yeah. So, yeah. It, and yeah. and she, the way she talks about it is uh, is is pretty unflinching. Um, it's uh, it, it really is. Um, yeah, God, I just I just watched it going, man, this woman, and and, and the fact that she, you know, when she. When Ike and Tina, when she split and she's trying to figure out how to move on and how to, you know, how to start. And she was like, I want, you know, I never wanted to be like an R&B soul singer. I wanted to be a rock star. (laughs) And I want, I'm going to be, I'm starting a rock band. And, um, and that to me, that whole section that sort of the, the reinvention of her, uh of herself leading up to um 
you know, what eventually became private dancer and, and all of that stuff uh, was uh, to you know, those clips of her playing, whether it's at CBGB's or, you know, some of the other clubs that she would be playing at um, trying to, trying to create this rock show. Um, just, uh, boy, I love, I just, I'm like, that was just tremendous. Um, and, and also to sort of see her, how fondly she looks back at that time and, and that struggle, knowing that she came out on the other side of it and what she was able to create. Yeah, um, yeah she, she knew that she was, you know, uh, in uncharted waters and, uh, and it's yeah, it just super exciting. Um, yeah, so no, the team no, back no, very few artists out there deserved a, a big second act more than she did, and, and she kind of right. did it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and and I, it's not like I was a huge Tina Turner fan. She was just sort of, she was just ubiquitous. She was, you know, what's love got to do with it? Huge hit. Um, I know, always the, knew the, that there was a comeback aspect to that album and her right, whole '80s yeah. revival, but it always felt like, well, you're just a '60s, you know, early '70s star who just had a comeback. A lot of people did. Steve Winwood did. There's a list is as long yeah. as my arm of people of that age that suddenly in the eighties were making albums that everybody was buying again. But she, it, when you, when you learn more about it, obviously it's, it really is remarkable and mm -hmm. not just for the, not just for the more salacious reasons. It's what Joel's talking about to really get out there and redefine yourself to be, to have a vision for what you wanted your music to be, even though you mm -hmm. had all these collaborators helping you create it. You, she, her idea of what, she wanted to sound like and what she wanted to present herself to the world as was it was not a greatest hit show. It was not a revival of the old personality. Right. It was a totally different private dancer is, I mean, it's, it's like a lot of that big mega albums of that day that have, you know, four or five hits on it. It's, it's got three or four different producers. Like it's a big album. Um, but it was a modern album, you know, in every sense yeah. of the word. It sounded like the moment it came out. And that was cool and brave and yeah. really, really neat. So Yeah, I, I yeah, and, and I think being a, a, a young a, a young man at the time, it was more, you know, it was like, Oh yeah, she's the woman with the giant hair. <laughs> um you know, and, and she won yeah. she wins for biggest hair, and that's yeah. that's a big award to win in 1984 <laughs> um she wins <laughs> but uh yeah so the, while that one was my favorite uh the the best documentary though that uh that i think um there was of 2021 um was summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised um again another music documentary but having to do with the uh the it's Again, one of these things where this footage has been sitting in, yeah, uh, you know, just in, in a, a pile, in a safe in a pile for, <laughs> you know, for years. It's it's uh, the the story of the um, um, the Harlem Cultural Festival uh, that used to that, you know that used to happen um, in the in the sixties, and it, you know of several days of of music and art and everything and and. Uh, and this was, you know, in 69, yeah, 69 was, I mean, the, the lineup was Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Nina Simone, The Fifth Dimension, Staple Singers, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Blinky, Blinky Williams, Sly and the Family Stone, The Chambers Brothers. So it's like these absolute titans 
mm. um, of music that we're playing. And it was, uh, you know, the, these, these performances recorded, played on like a two hour special on CBS. And then um, the footage just went away. And it was all this amazing, you know, and, and uh, the document, you know, so it's uh, the, the, the director Questlove, and I can never remember Questlove, it's Amir something. I, uh, I can never remember his last name. Oh, it's Amir Thompson. I should just, I, how can I, can't remember Thompson, but it's Questlove, you know, Questlove over the roots. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he, so he, he directed, he was like, I can get this made. I know how to, how, I know how to do this. And it, it is a really good documentary. It's a little slow moving um in in parts you know and and it's um it, it's it's really exciting you know he but but i think the there's there's an element of because this is a cultural festival and there's a lot more going on than just these music mm -hmm. uh the, these music acts there are there are times where they're talking about the the, the cultural festival where it's just like i i think i i just my expectations of it were Oh, I'm gonna. It's just gonna be like this. It's almost gonna be like the Woodstock film, where it's just right, right, right. You know, performance after performance after performance, and there's a lot of discussion about the performances. And frankly, some of the discussions of the performances get in the way of the performances. Like they cut away from the performance to talk about the performance, mm -hmm. and I'm like, no, oh, I, oh, I wanted to yeah. just see that. I That's to the see lesson that of the Get Back documentary: is you can almost have as much as you want as long as it's the mm -hmm. it's the thing itself now although you mentioned that tina really is a person looking back deliberately on a on an era in time that's that's a powerful tool mm -hmm. as well but i know what you're talking about with that oh yeah, yeah you've got it's... it you've got it we can feel it you don't need to explain it to us and and mm -hmm. that that doc it's really it's only flaw because it's yeah it's it considered really one of the best films of the year it yeah. but it it really does take you away from right where you want to be to rather needlessly have people tell you what you were already thinking and feeling when you were wrapped up in it yourself. So. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, so that it, uh, um, it, yeah. It, Cause there are times where, yeah. I mean, it's like, you could still talk about the performance, yeah, but yeah. just let us see it in its entirety. Yeah. It's like, it's like um, uh, I, I kept thinking like of that thing you do, one of the brilliances of that thing you do is you almost never hear, you only ever hear the song in its entirety one time. One time, yeah. And you have these little cuts. And it was like, in this case, because of the acts that you had, because of the performances and stuff, it was like, no, we want the entire thing. And then you can talk to, talk to us about it. But let us, let us just take it in and watch you know, watch this Stevie Wonder performance. Let us watch the Fifth Dimension. You know well, that in its that probably should in, have been the project. They probably should have yeah. restored the whole damn thing if they could have. Maybe money, time, the, the yeah, the elements. I don't know. Maybe there were factors that prevented that. But that to me, that's what it should have been. And then you bet yeah. have a an outside voices documentary that's released right alongside it, where you go through, and then you don't have to show us anything. You only got to show us enough. Like in that thing you do, you only got to show us enough for us to know what you're talking about. Well, with the references, yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, I, you could have had both. But, you could have had it all. 
but it's and a, you blew it's, it. a, it's a no just kidding. it's still a no it, no he i mean it, it no he certainly it's it's just it's like oh that's just something that kept like it made it uh, hard you know it's like yeah. oh i feel like it was a missed opportunity in points to do to do that uh but it's it's cutaways. despite that criticism it's it's it, it's it's yeah and that's, the world that's by a pretty small anyone thing. who's seen well, it is. It's yeah. It's a little thing, but it, it you're right about it. I think. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, but it's still. I mean, it's it's this thing that the vast majority of us, especially who are not uh, black and African American, have never heard of. Yep. Um, and it's it's uh it's just this really amazing event. It, it's that, the exact same uh, time period as Get Back. It's a it's a yeah. Of the same time period as MLK, you know, we're not quite exactly the same, but it, you know, it's this time in America's history where the turbulence was setting in, you know what I mean? Because the things that mm -hmm. were meaningful and the things that were painful about being an American were finally being addressed in ways that they yeah. hadn't been before. So it's such a time that that's alive and amazing. And so any time you can capture something like that and you do just feel it, even through the music mm -hmm. and, and I'm one who likes his music without all the visual aids, honestly, but, but these are different. This is, this really has a, there's a reason for you to see into the past because it's, it's, they're all, they're yeah. more than the music, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's, I mean, it, it is a, it's a tremendous project. It's a, uh, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's a very, very good documentary. Um, and absolutely worth seeing uh the, the, it, you know it's it, it's you know certainly not get back long but it's uh you know it's, it's still and it's only two hours it's a two-hour documentary right um which can be long for a documentary but it's uh two hours good it's a movie movie length documentary feature length yeah, documentary. feature length documentary it is uh it's really the style good. they uh, did it it couldn't have been much longer but but like right. you say it could have been infinitely long it's interesting enough that it they could have like yeah. shown the whole thing and it would have been great yeah so um so that's it that's my uh those are my top documentaries of of the year um Ooh. and um yeah i really dug them um on air production meeting uh do we call it here or do we uh no we, we gotta do these for... last couple it's an honor to be nominated movies i'm not gonna okay. talk much about them because the uh, so I get what you're saying. We're running out of time and we yep. should devote more time to these than we did to Rambo last blood. And we're not going to, but whatever, we're going to end on a high note with the fellow nominees from the, um, from the Oscars from last year so that we can be right. all caught up and really dive into Hollywood proper next week. Great. Um, yeah, so we have uh, one, two, three, four, five. We have five hit films here. Yeah, you um, can actually leave off the last one. Okay. Um, the, but we're going to start the, off with the White Western. Tiger. You can leave that one yeah. off. We, won't, we don't need to talk about that now, but I think these others we do, so let's do it. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about White Tiger first. Got to go back to synopsis for this, because especially this um, needs a sort of yeah, setup. Yeah, White Tiger. Uh, let me find the, the good one. For some reason, I put the wrong link in here. Give me a moment. This is why I shouldn't do my links at late at night. Uh, <laughs> an ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty, poverty and rise to the top. An epic journey based on the New York Times bestseller. 
Um, yeah, it's it's a again, it's an English language film that has a tremendous amount of uh, Indian in it. I'm not sure what the language that this particular group of people speaks. There's a couple of them over there, but mm-hmm. it it um it sold as sort of a zany comedy, and it does have its zany weird aspects to it. But it really is a it really is a rather in the end, it's a rather dark tale, kind of along the lines of um what was the Korean movie that just won best picture? Parasite. It's not quite absurdist like Parasite really is, but it it has that dark core of a thing at it. So the while the comedy works, it's you're always a little you know on edge mm-hmm. over what's going on because it always feels like there's some like that this class system breeds resentment and it breeds this sort of dark backlash that's always could come out at any time and i was i was really surprised by that because if you look at the poster for white tiger it was nominated for best screenplay adapted screenplay i think that that might be it but maybe a couple other scattered noms in there too it has a very vivid uh sense of geography and place it's you know it's an incredible look into a different culture but um but it's that darkness that surprised me and that the fact that the movie ends, it has what feels almost like a traditional ending that's been built upon anger and hate and crime. And it just kind of, it was, I was surprised very pleasantly by it, but I just want people to be warned. It's another movie where they really sell the comedy and the ads. As I say, the poster really looks like, this is a goofy fun, you know, yeah, ethnic it's comedy. Yeah, aqua green with a funny drawn crown. Yeah. It's a crime drama. Be be warned <laughs> front that that's what it is. <laughs> it's important that you know that. But it, it's a that's a really really good movie. I was I was I still am processing it because it just it was one of those things that swept me away and I wasn't really ra- able to be super analytical when I was watching the thing. But but that's good. That's a that's good. That's a Cool. That's a good accomplishment by it that I wasn't able to do that because that meant I was really wrapped up in it emotionally, which is cool. Sure. That's great. Yep. Um, all right. Next, next up is the United States versus Billy Holiday. Oh, yeah. This was good, too. Another movie yeah. where the feds are coming after somebody for she and her, with her, it was a one trick. I mean, Billie Holiday was hardly a one-trick pony. But the reason that the authorities hated her was she kept singing this song about uh, lynching. And she just refused to let it slip out of her set lists. It was very upsetting Mm -hmm. to people, obviously. But she was, even though she was just a musician, and the film is very biopic-y, it it covers her issues with drugs or various relationships. Um, You know, it really puts a, a... really grounded spin on somebody whose life and music is, is, is legendary and larger than life. But Mm -hmm. the, the central part of it is like the name implies it's about the way they came after her. They came after her for a drug habit, but they didn't care which black celebrities were doing drugs. Then they really didn't care about that. They wanted her to stop singing this song that was that, and it's same. Joel was just talking about it. The power of the song, 
where you this in this case you hear about the song and you hear about it you hear about it you hear about it and then boom it's in the movie and you don't even know what's happening because the song sneaks up on you it did in her concert like this song's about a, a lynching this is mm-hmm. terrifying and yet it's a remarkable piece of music um it's a it's a harrowing film she just went through so much and it, it's depressing almost the movie which is a bummer yeah. but but that makes it feel all the more authentic, frankly. And, and so I, I really, really like that movie a lot too. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's, it was, you're right. It was, it was, it was a hard watch. It is. It, was a hard it watch. really is. Yeah. And it's it really strong and brave performances by all involved Um, particularly mm-hmm. the leading lady. Let's get her name on the record. Cause she's. Really oh remarkable. yeah. It is. Uh, 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 Andre day, Andre day. Really, I mean, it just a really, really. I mean, when we think about, we talk about the process of acting and stuff, but the rabbit hole that she had to go down to inhabit this person over this amount of time and the struggles that she went through and stuff. And I mean, it's just, it's you know, we use the word as a cliche, but it's a brave, brave performance. Yeah. I was really, yeah. really impressed. Uh, all right, next up is Pieces of a Woman. Oh man. We should have flipped this one to the end, but it pieces of a woman because pieces of a woman on this list is the movie that really got me. Mm. Um, read the synopsis if you can, if you have it in front of you. Otherwise, I can uh, I can uh, quick do one oh, myself because it really is it really is two two movies, right? Oh come on! There's a young oh, couple you out on the East Coast. Uh, Played by when a young when a young mother's home birth ends in unfathomable tragedy, she begins a year long odyssey of mourning that fractures relationships with loved ones in this deeply personal story of a woman learning to live alongside her loss. Um, the woman in the the woman in this that's shattered to pieces by this event is played by um, Vanessa Kirby, who's I think had a remarkable ascendance because when she was younger she's a beautiful lady don't get me wrong but when she was younger and just this sort of hot chick she played this sort of random she played this is particularly english films cast her as this you know other woman your rich friend from college um the obnoxious chick that the hero needs to overcome to get the man she wants she played. She they had her pigeonholed into this thing, which Vanessa was really, really good at playing these parts because she mm-hmm. she makes a really strong impression, <clears throat> and due to various things, but largely due to her her portrayals, Princess Margaret and the Crown, she's just she's become this just incredible substantive leading woman mm-hmm. and I've never seen her better than she is in this film. She plays this working class. Uh, but she's actually kind of rich. She's from a rich family. It's her hubby that's played by Shia LaBeouf that's working class. And there's some conflict and some things to explore there. But it's really about the tra- trauma of this uh, this event that happens. They're having a home birth. The midwife that they've been working with is uh, giving another birth across town when she surprisingly um, goes into labor. Uh, what's the name of the actor? She's extraordinary. That it plays the midwife that comes. I can't uh, remember the name. 
sorry for not remembering anybody's names. I should have this. In well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's uh, there's Eliza Schlesinger, yeah, and there's Sarah Snook, Molly yep. Parker, Molly Parker. Uh, um, Molly Parker. Sarah Snook's great in it too. Uh, Molly Parker, it's Molly Parker. She comes, she's this stranger that comes to their house to do this thing, this birth, and we go through the whole thing. It's this twenty five minute scene it's just an incredible scene and and it goes badly and they lose the kid and the whole the it's just the way that rattles everybody's world and the way it brings not just the issues involved in that but everything to the surface everybody's pushing and pulling for different things they're trying to sue over the loss of the child this midwife and they're trying to and it's all negative, terrible, awful, mournful stuff, and yet it's very, very vivid and believable and amazing. Ellen Bernstein's in it. Incredible yep. performance by her, as you'd expect at this point. She rarely shows up in anything these days and isn't amazing. Um, but it's Vanessa's film, and I just I can't say enough about it. I, I it's It's tough. We just talked about a couple of tough movies to get through. This movie's tough as any of them. It's just really hard because it's so sad, but it, it, it just makes you feel something for real. You really go through it with her and, and you're, by that time the thing's over, you're proud to have done so. I just think that's a remarkable accomplishment. So uh, that film yeah. was, she was nominated for best actor rightfully so. Yeah, you know, rightfully so. It's a powerhouse performance by Vanessa. Everybody's good in it. Shia's really good in it. Not an easy role to do. You know, there everyone shows up, but she's just extraordinary and just embodied this woman that couldn't be any less like Vanessa in real life, and yet just did it in this incredibly believable way. I was knocked out by wow. that film. My my favorite on the also ran list, and one of my favorites probably just overall of of that year. Sure. Um, all right, our final um, our final uh, movie that we're going to talk about is One Night in Miami. Yeah, see that's Regina Cream, Regina King, Regina King. There's a there's a there's a collection here, really fun. Not so much in 2020, but we'll give Regina King some props. Um, there's a collection here of female actors doing their first time directorial projects that for mm -hmm. the most part, you'll see when we get to that category are very feminine very female centric. Regina picked this play one night in Miami as her project and it has hardly any women in it. And the ones that are in it are barely in it. It's about these four iconic men from uh, this time period that we've spent a good part portion of the show talking about right. um it's malcolm x muhammad ali, muhammad ali jim brown the football player slash actor um and who's the other one why am i forgetting sam cook uh, of yep, course sam yeah cook. that's why i'm sam cook um and this fictional meeting that they supposedly had uh, the premise behind the play is that they would get together every once in a while, the four of them, and talk over the direction of their careers because they all recognize themselves as the pillars of the black community in one way or another. But they all had dramatically different approaches to that, and that breeds mm -hmm. conflict 
And even though it's this fantasy of an idea, it's really, really fun to get caught up with these great actors playing these iconic people that are from different walks of life and, and, and use their influence very, very differently. Um, and just, and to see people that we now revere so highly, just trying to figure out how to survive from one moment to the next and getting advice from each other on how to do it. Sometimes welcomed and sometimes unwelcomed advice, Sam Cooke and, uh, Malcolm X in particular <laughs> at each other's yeah. throats, basically the whole movie. Um, it's a really neat project, but it's it's hard to it's hard to grab onto in an emotional way. Even like um, uh, you know the U.S. versus Billie Holiday, you Billie have Holiday, a real yeah. you have a reality that you can grab onto. There's no reality in this thing at all. It's shot in a very real, simple, kind of awesome way. So you you can you can get carried away by it, but. It's tough. It, I assume the play is like this too. The play probably on stage is amazing. One set, yeah. you know, you sort of accept that easier, I think, than you do in, in a in a movie without the outside world. Sometimes they turn on the TV, which is clever. I bet you that happens, and because it's something's happening in mm -hmm. the world that's really important that night. I can't remember what. It's it's how well, they are able to meet in secret, like. The film gives yeah. way too much thought to that when we don't really need it since this never really happened. But uh yeah, they're all they're all um yeah, they're all in town for for Muhammad Ali's fight, Cassius oh. Clay's fight. Yeah. Right, right, right. He's still um, Cassius Clay at this point. Yep. He's uh he's practicing Muslim but he's he's uh doing it in the closet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which as you can imagine is <laughs> tricky. Um, I don't know about Sam Cooke, but the all the other three gentlemen are all followers of the Nation of Islam, eventually, if not in this particular moment. So that right. certainly is a connection between them. Um, I really like that movie, but I, it's a it's a setup, it's a gimmick, and you just kind of have to get over the what if this happened, and then what you <laughs> right, you know what I mean. And then you, if you can do that, you you get. A really self-assured directorial debut from from Regina King and a really good you know stage worthy script first worthy material which is always welcome yeah. so I was not emotionally carried away by that film but it was still fascinating to sit through I, I dug it I liked the cool as manufactured as it was I liked the the dramatic conflict you know it was it yeah. carried the day very well very very I, cool. Can we we should name the gentleman in it probably? Oh sure yeah, Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X, Eli Gorley as Cassius Clay, uh, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Um, wow. Yeah, that's I mean, their. I mean, you know, just that alone should get you in the door to that one. I would think. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. That's a really elite group of actors playing these guys from history in in a way that while completely unbelievable from the scenario standpoint, really are, the characters are really grounded in what their frailties are. And as we always talk about on, on the show, that's, that's a strong thing to get to witness. So, yep. And we'll leave it there. Yep. We check out. Yeah. That is going to do it for our, 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 we're dipping our toe into 2021. Um, we promise next week uh, there'll be a lot less 
of John Rambo. I'm not going to say that there won't be any John Rambo. You never know. You, you there will definitely be less Rambo. St. Elmo's Fire. Very much so. Um, all right. And uh, so join us again next week. Of course, uh, reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at uh, ask Joel and Ryan on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and um, the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on YouTube, which if you are watching this, please give us a like uh, and click subscribe and subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your your podcast uh, delights. Go ahead, leave us a message or leave us a, a review. Um, we'll uh, we'll send you extra extra love energy into the universe. Um, and uh, okay, so uh, you can email us askjoelandryan at gmail.com. Hey, All right, email so- us, you guys. Get Bring some questions in for the new year. Make that, that one of your New Year's resolution. Just one question. One question from each of you and we'll have questions for the whole year. We'd really, Correct. really appreciate that. I know that's a lot to ask because... And then you ask a cool question and I can't answer it. So we, it doesn't even get on the show. <laughs> I don't want to prolong um, yeah. this show anyway. We've, we've overspent. But send, send us... It, it, it doesn't even have to be questions. Comments. Hey, you didn't talk yeah. about this movie. Do it. Just boss us around. Thank you We'd for listening that. to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. Joel, hey, the producers played me off, man. I thought they were my friends. Was, <laughs> Sorry about that. I thought I was, that was like, ruthless. Oh, he hears it. He's gonna hear that. He's gonna hear the button. He's gonna. It's gone, uh, good. I deserve to be played right. off. Let's face it. <laughs> Could have given you the old. Uh...